0: Is video game content just as harmful as React content? So when I made my VOD channel, and I saw the first video that was uploaded, I was like, is this something that I want to upload? I can talk endlessly about how I believe that, ultimately, videos of video games are complementary with the video games themselves, and both markets ultimately see a growth and benefit from the existence of the other, at least in general, in that some video games I don't think benefit, from videos of them, like games that are, you know, walking simulators. Walking simulator in this context means a game where all you really do is press a button to walk forward and experience a story. There is no gameplay elements. Where games like League of Legends or Fortnite massively benefit from these videos because Fortnite and stuff is infinitely replayable. It's always a new experience. Like I can go on about this forever. But when it comes to story based games, where the story isn't the only important thing, but it is a key component. When I look at me just playing story based games, rather than say, speed running or doing a challenge run or doing some sort of competitive challenge or something against other players, a multiplayer game, it feels too much like I'm just watching a movie. I'm not really. I'm clearly doing new things and stuff that potentially has never been seen before. I am creating something in that, like in the same way that I'm playing something, it's an active component. But it's it feels a bit more slimy to me in my values. Like, I never started out playing story-based games like that. And while I can see the end result of my playing, like creating the stream footage into an end product, as being a creative endeavor that focuses on me and what I've created within the platform of the game, the VOD footage itself doesn't feel like much of a creative pursuit. But then again, like, am I overthinking this? Like, let's say, worst case scenario, I am actually exploiting a multi-billion dollar company. Do I care? Yeah, I'm not sure I really care, I, I don't know. I totally disagree, Jacksepticeye plays those a lot and his community loves them, granted he plays other games too, but you know. Yeah, so there was a court case, once upon a time between, it was going to become a court case and they've actually got there, between Markiplier and some dude who made basically a walking simulator. And the dude was really mad because what Markiplier did was just record the en- entire game and put it on his YouTube channel. The dude who made that game got like nothing. He got like a couple of sales, but Markiplier got like you know tens of thousands of dollars. These are niche examples. This isn't traditionally what happens, but you can see how that fundamentally differs from a person say playing a game of League of Legends because League of Legends isn't like a one-time experience. Once you watch one game of League of Legends, you haven't seen and finished League of Legends. But if you watch a walking simulator, a video of a walking simulator, you have. You may as well have just done that experience and Is my experience of playing Bully, unedited, significantly different from like anyone's experience playing Bully? Yes, it is because even though the story beats are the same, the gameplay choices you make, how you struggle and seeing reactions of chat all count towards a different experience for everyone watching. That entirely depends on how much freedom is allowed for the player because that's the argument you'd quite quickly make in say Fortnite or PUBG, League of Legends, whatever these kind of games are, the multiplayer games, CSGO, these kind of things. Like, I can very much so easily defend the normal types of content that I make, ethically. But playing through story-based games is something that I have a harder time doing. Then I say to myself, at the end of the day, it is billion dollar companies. These games are old. It's not like they're in active development or are still being significantly bought and sold. Well, in that case, wouldn't streaming them be the same? In the same way that a trailer isn't the movie, an individual live stream over video game, especially a live stream that is ephemeral, doesn't give you and can never give you the entire experience of the game itself. It is substantially unlikely that any person will sit and watch from start to finish an entire live stream of an entire video game. Most people dip in and out and if they ever see something that they believe themselves that they would enjoy, they'd go do it themselves. Because it's, I'm advertising experience that you can't get watching me, which is playing the game itself. I just mean, this topic really interests me. Where the line should be drawn and why. What is ethical? Wasn't there that Firewatch controversy that's copyright strikes PewDiePie if you're using the gameplay? Got a lot of backlash, but I believe they were successful. The only reason Firewatch copyright strikes PewDiePie was because they didn't like PewDiePie as a person. Firewatch, like most developers, had a TOS that s- specifically allowed people to play their games and make content out of it. And that's why there was so much backlash, because it was them revoking a, call it a license, it wasn't a verbal license, it was written down. Specifically because they didn't like a person. And they're like, that's not fair. like I believe PewDiePie did take it down, but I don't think the strike stayed. Which is definitely the case, like even with Rockstar, they have a TOS that allows for uh, creations of content within their worlds. Because, especially when it comes to online worlds, they are obviously platforms for you to create your own content and create experiences that no one else has seen before, in the developer's eyes, in the hopes of inspiring other people to want to either recreate those experiences for themselves or create their own experiences that they can't get just by watching you. Because the shift of medium from video game to recorded video will always mean that there is something left on the table that isn't being given, the experience of playing it yourself. But in some cases, in some games, that's not much that's left over. The spectrum is multiplayer games without any story components and walking simulators, and there is definitely somewhere in the middle here where I'm not comfortable with it. It's just hard to say whether it is or whether I should really care because at the end of the day, again, multi-billion dollar companies. (laughs) Because it isn't like it isn't work to make this stuff. I've seen people make these statements, and I think these statements were far more common back when video games were first being made into content on YouTube where People who make like essays, video essays, or top 10 lists and all that jazz, they will say like, how dumb is this that we can spend weeks making a video where some jackass can play Minecraft for an hour, upload that to YouTube, and get 10,000 times the views. There are people who would absolutely have similar views that I have to reaction content to video games. And I think I could argue circles around them, but... (laughs) And in drawing distinctions and differences in in how one's okay and the other is not. But those Views do still exist. Like, it's, you'd have to be blind to not see similarities between making content out of playing video games versus watching other people's already made YouTube videos. It's just the distinctions matter a lot. It probably doesn't surprise you that two things can be very similar and yet their distinctions change everything. I don't know if you've heard of Persona 5, but they banned anyone who tried to stream the game to avoid spoilers for anyone interested in the game. I believe Persona 5 specifically said if you wanted to stream the game in the first couple of weeks of release, you couldn't go past a certain point. I believe that was their stance. Atlus apologizes for Persona 5 streaming restrictions, loosens them. Yeah, so they loosened the guidelines and we're now asking players to refrain from streaming or posting video past the end of the in-game date of the 11th of the 19th. Because like you can obviously see how giving people a taste of something is going to inspire people to seek out the full thing. You gotta leave something left for that to happen. But again, if you're creating something truly unique, original enough, then it doesn't really matter the impact on the other thing because what you've made is a truly unique original experience, but can you ever really do that with a story-based game? I think 2k games are the same for game reviewers of Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. They allow to review only first two levels. pre. Release, sometimes viewers are given just limited versions of the game. They can't go past certain points. When you're sponsored to play a game, they often want you to play only a specific amount or don't go past a specific point. Those restrictions don't usually exist in live service games, for example, understandably, because the game ke- keeps going. I actually started playing Persona 5 because a streamer showed me the first few hours and I was interested in it to see more and not directly after release. It's the argument that you'd assume. That a person who stumbles across a person playing a game and is interested in the gameplay of that game, which is a necessary prere- prerequisite for them to buy it in the first place, that they would then go seek that out to play it themselves if it's available for them at all. Because they can't get that experience play, uh, watching a video. In the same way that I stumbled across someone playing Rogue Tower, I went, this looks amazing. Quit the video, bought the game and started playing it myself. Or like Noita. Or same thing I did with Slay the Spire, same thing I did with Vampire Survivors. But the more I think about it, the games where this happened are the games that effectively have no story. Which is, as I keep saying, the things that benefit the most from this kind of content. Like King's Quest, I remember watching Game Grumps play through it. And I looked at this and I went, I have absolutely no interest in the gameplay. And so I just watched the whole thing. I thought the gameplay looked tedious as fuck. I wanted to see where the story went, but there was no way in hell I'd be willing to face the gameplay of a King's Quest game to find it out. Same thing with Undertale. Undertale's gameplay looked tedious as fuck to me. Wasn't interested, but watching someone play that, I was like, yeah, I could do that. I want to see where the story goes. So like I never would have played Undertale, but I know what the story is now because I watched the video. Yeah, so I suppose it's fine. It's just whenever you take a stance on something, there's always going to be some line where things are close to being against your values, right? some things that are hard to judge, that are gray, and just playthroughs of story-based games hit that for me. I mean, the whole thing. Like, if you just play two hours of a story-based game and that's it, no issue. But my VOD channel will be whole entire playthroughs of story-based games. And at the end of the day, the two things that I lean back on are, like, take Bully, it's 17 years old, from a multi-billion dollar company. And if you're truly interested in the gameplay of the game, you'd obviously go play it yourself. So yeah, maybe I'll continue having these vods come out then. So, in what you can call the attention economy, there are different things compete to differing degrees based on what level of exclusive attention they've If you ask people watching a live stream, what are you doing? And you give them time to respond, like half of them will say, I'm playing a video game. It's why drawing the line as to how much Videos of video games and live streams of video games benefit video games, and vice versa is a hard thing to do because they do compete to some degree, but they also complement each other and benefit each other in that together they can work to bring in people from other markets that wouldn't otherwise have found either. It's very interesting. Like, if I was doing economics or something, I would totally write papers about this because it's very fascinating. Because reaction videos don't have the same sort of benefits because they compete directly in the exact same market as do the original videos. Because they exist to attempt to appeal to the same audiences and draw them in. And because they can be made so much faster with substantially less difficulty, it distorts the market to make it so that creating anything original is actually a dumb move when it comes to growth. Because it's faster, uh, more efficient, better if you like to just steal someone else's video who's already done that. And that's the problem with reaction content. It distorts the market to make it so that working hard is the dumb move. Cutting 10 minutes out of my video blew it up in the algorithm. So here's something that's pretty interesting, Chat. As you likely know, with my anti-reaction series, there was a first video which is like an introduction to the series, why the series exists at all. Then there was a main video that is like, the lion's share of the arguments presenting the thesis as to how reaction content ultimately harms everyone except the reactors themselves, and then there's follow-on videos that look at specific creators' views of reaction content, things that they said about me and my script that I did originally. The main video I want everyone to watch is, of course, the main video that presents the main thesis, the main arguments that I have. However, one video has recently gotten a lot more attention because of something I did to it. So in this video, How a Socialist Made Capitalism Worse, Hassan Pike's Unethical Business and Stolen Fortune, there was originally a long compilation that did little more than establish that Hassan is not a very good person. It was very funny and it did make its own arguments and it showed how Hassan was hypocritical, how he treated people poorly, who even just politely disagree with him. But it ultimately detracted from the main purpose of the video as a whole. So recently, I decided to remove that section, which was about 10 minutes, and since I removed it and the video was now 10 minutes shorter, more people seemed to be willing to click on it. You can see this dip here. This is where the original dip was for people like skipping over the compilation and joining back to the rest of the video. I didn't realistically think that removing this would have any real impact on how many people clicked the video, but it did. I should have post the compilation separately. I have considered that and then like sitting there and explaining all the different parts of it, because it is really funny. Terrible and sad, but also quite funny. But yeah, so I, it's the first experience that I've, I can recall where editing a video seven months down the line has actually impacted the video. Of course, there is a chance that other things occurred around here that I'm just unaware of. Perhaps someone linked the video somewhere, although it's, it's, it's just browse features, so that's unlikely. People are finding it via the algorithm, but it could be something else that's pinged this off, I'm not sure. But that this kind of spike, coincided with that change, probably means something. Although again, that Pineleys situation did occur around here, maybe that was more of a cause, maybe both. It's one of the annoying things about YouTube where it's hard to determine absolute causal relationships. You you have correlations and you just say, these happened around the same time so they probably have something to do with each other and if you can't think of a alternate hypothesis, you kind of end up just being forced into accepting this is true. Or at least, more likely true than not. What was very interesting to me about this new influx of viewers, is it kind of vindicated me in my mind. Because I was kicking myself for the longest time that in the main video in the series, I spent a lot of time establishing what I would consider to be fairly obvious facts about how markets work, how viewers work, how YouTube, Twitch, and all that stuff interacts. And because I spent so much time doing that, I lost a lot of people with the video. Because it made the video very slow to build up, to establish certain things. And so, less people would be willing to stick to the entire thing. However, with this new influx of viewers on this video, I was surprised how many things that I thought were fairly superfluous in the main video actually turned out to be very important. Because the people clicking on this video, again which is more of an addendum to the main video, because they haven't seen the main video, they're making all these mistakes in their reasoning, because they haven't seen all that establishing information, you see? I had no real evidence that this stuff was really important because I didn't really have a lot of people like pushing back on those ideas. But now having a, a new audience of people look at the video who haven't seen that information and all of them being like, There, there are infinite views. What are you talking about? YouTube videos don't compete. What, what, what do you mean? People can watch infinite YouTube videos. Things I wouldn't think in a million years that the average person would potentially believe. But so many people believe these things. So I know where I'm going with this, but it's just, Whenever you try to convince people of things, you have to pick and choose what you talk about. There's always more information, more examples, more things you could write. But the more you write, the less likely you're gonna get people to jump on to begin with or stay for the entire thing. And I worried that I maybe I had made some poor choices in the main video, but it turns out maybe I was a bit more spot on than I thought. I know how people think anything is infinite, people are limited, time is limited, so why won't views be limited? I was very confused as well. You'd have to read some of the comments to understand, but it's very confusing because you'd think that people just intuitively know that there can't be infinite people with 30,000 viewers on Twitch. Like, you can look at just Sully Gnome if you like, and there's even a graph that will tell you what an even distribution of uh, live streamers to viewers would be, and it's around 20. There is a conceptual maximum market for online video content that you can calculate if you really want to spend the time based on how many people exist who can conceivably watch. X amount of videos in a day, and then you can calculate, for example, how many Markipliers can exist. How many people can receive 200 million views a month? And the answer is obviously, not everyone. (laughs) The market is necessarily finite because people can only watch a finite amount of videos. No one can watch the 720,000 hours of content uploaded to YouTube every day. No one can watch the millions of live streams that are going on every moment. They can only watch one at a time. Talking again about the attention economy and the exclusivity of certain uh, draws of attention, live streams and, and videos necessarily compete because you can't do both at once. Why few big content creators will openly support my views on react content. Slump says, Whoa, it's insane how bad these streamers youtubers made Dark Darkviper out to be. They made him seem so crazy and batshit that I even believed that Darkfire was just a rambling buffoon that didn't have a good argument. They made me think he was just a one-off creator that's petty and jealous of views, so I never even tried to seek out his argument. Now that I've seen his side, I'm starting to see how bad react content is and how these streamers are truly taking away the whole point of creating new fresh content. It's just painful chat. Knowing that I could have an impact if I was just more charismatic or if I was just better at this, if I had more dedicated myself ten months ago rather than just having a half-hearted attempt at writing a script and trying to go back to working on Pacifist. You can't live in the past, but like it didn't matter what I would say or how, like that end result was going to be it because React has got to protect their bag. You're great at most and even all stuff. There is specifically one thing that I have always sucked at and that is speaking. Always. I don't like giving speeches, I don't like scripted content, reading scripts, I I just suck at it. I'm not even very good even to this day at speaking during a live stream. I'm just not. I'll often stumble over my words, have to go back and stuff. I've been doing this for years now and I'm still much worse than people who've just started doing this like a year ago. I'm way better than I once was, but still pretty bad. You've started the ball rolling, you've reached more people than most of us could, hopefully more big original content creators get on board with the message. I don't think it'll ever happen. No one wants a microscope put at what they're doing and for what they're doing to potentially be called into question. No one wants to pick fights with all the larger content creators who have got there because of their ability to pull everyone's work to themselves and siphon impressions and therefore viewers away from the wider market. We aren't in 2016 anymore where most of the large creators were themselves original content creators. We're in a new market where most of the large creators, or at least a lot of them, are themselves reactors. Like, do you really want to risk pissing off millions of people and close yourself off from many of the people who exist on your same level? I mean, I did it, but I care about this stuff a lot. Like, I'm not the average sort of person, I'm a bit weird in terms of my goals and desires for life. I'm a lot more focused on ethics and my impact on others, and I just don't think there will ever be enough people who understand the nuances of what I'm discussing. It's more complicated. Like, even though reaction content works in a similar way to the lottery, in that the lottery doesn't create additional money, it just moves it around in the same way that reactors don't create additional exposure, they just move it around. And the lottery keeps a chunk of the money for itself, and the reactors keep a chunk of the exposure for themselves. The mechanisms of the lottery is far more clear-cut and a closed-off system, where reaction content is just endless different small inner working parts that require a lot of foundational knowledge that most people won't have. Like, I don't think there's a single person in existence who I couldn't sit down with and, within a couple of hours, have them agreeing with me. But, I can't just have that conversation with millions of people. Is pausing a video and then returning to it later detrimental for content creators? You mentioned something on stream the other day on how clicking off someone's video to come back to it later is a bad thing. How bad is it really and what can we do to rectify it? Use the watch later feature? I have no idea how readily YouTube is able to acknowledge that a person has left a video and come back. No idea. There's nothing on the back end that talks about that. It is a well-accepted fact that you want people to watch the entire video, and I assume that if you come back and continue watching, YouTube's going to be happy with that. I don't see how YouTube could have a problem with you taking a break. If you then came back to the platform to continue to watch it, I suppose that'd make them happy. They're like, oh, this video must be good because it's bringing people back to the platform. i say I have no idea. Don't fret. Just watch whatever you want to watch, live the life you want to live. Don't be stressing about how can we have Dark Viper AU get another fraction of a penny to add to his already too large bank account, right? Don't concern yourself. I appreciate the thought, but uh, when I mention things like that, it's not in an attempt to influence you to do otherwise. It's more in a sense of, I find it interesting. I find the, uh, well, the mechanics of this entire industry to be very fascinating. It's like an ever-evolving riddle. They're just very interesting to solve. YouTube does have stats from returning viewers, but that's people who come back to watch another video that you released previously. Returning viewers are not people who return to the same video. Do taller people have a higher chance of getting cancer? So interesting fact that I learned, and it makes like intuitive sense when you hear it, but I had never thought about before, is that taller people inherently have a higher chance of getting cancer. Because you're taller, you obviously have more cells, And that means there is a greater amount of cells that can possibly become cancerous. I wish I remembered the numbers. It was like, so apparently for every extra 10 centimeters, you have roughly a 5 to 10% chance increased risk of getting cancer, depending upon the particular type of cancer. I thought that was nuts. When you hear that, you're like, that makes sense. Never thought about that before.